don't forget Christmas Trail Friday night. Look, we got like a thousand flyers left. Spent good money on them. And I bought them just for you to give to your friends. It's a way to give them a night to come to church without coming to church. It's out in the parking lot. It's not in here. It's, it's out there. And, uh, I mean, it is going to be a fabulous night. We've redone it. We've worked really hard on it. And uh, I think everyone will totally enjoy it. What a, what a great way to celebrate Christmas, a live nativity, realizing the true reason for the season. So make sure, make sure you bring lots of friends with you Friday night. Don't come by yourself. My goodness, all this work. Uh, we we want to we share the story with people about why we live the way we live and about why our life is as great as it is. And uh, there's an answer for all the craziness that's in this world. There's stuff going, you know, my goodness, the poor people of San Bernardino this morning. There's people that are they're in, the, in the happiest, which should be the happiest time of the year, they're mourning a tragedy, a loss. And so let's give people hope and joy and light in this season. So what does Christmas mean to you? That's my question for you today. What does Christmas mean to you? Does it, does it mean shopping? Does it mean getting presents? Does it mean that old song, My Two Front Teeth? <laughs> uh, I remember as a kid, you know, we used to scream it running through the house around the Christmas tree. All I want for Christmas is my... Two front teeth. My... Two front teeth. My... Two front teeth. Well, I want more than my two front teeth these days. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I get fulfilled in a different way. I don't need presents. I get fulfilled in watching other people light up when I give them presents. You know, I love giving to my boys and giving to my family. My boys come, come out Christmas morning. I remember when they were little and they'd run to the tree and they still believed in Santa Claus. And, and they, they'd run to the tree and they, they, they'd open up the presents. And, and I just have such joy that my, my eyes would begin to you know, swell up a little bit, and those things called tears that men don't, don't, don't admit would start to flow just a little bit, and, and you just feel this overwhelming passion of love and gratitude for the blessings of God in your life and be able to bless your children and give them what they want. I don't ever want my children to have to suffer as much as I did to get to where I'm at. If I can help my kids buy their first house, I'll help them buy their first house. Because I don't want them to have to suffer like I did. I don't want them to have to take out a mortgage. I want them to be the lender, not the borrower. I want them to go different places. And, you know, Christmas is a great time of year. How do, how do we get to that place of where we can be a giver? You just start. There's no good place to start ever. But you just start. How do you run a marathon? You start. And so just start. Does it mean goodies? Does Christmas mean cakes and cookies and all the yum-yum things? Oh, my. Is that what Christmas means to you? Does, does it mean family? I love spending time with my family at Christmas. Just a cherished part. But there's those people in the world that have no family. And so, so what, is, what does Christmas mean to you? You know, last year, 86% of Americans bought themselves a Christmas present. It's true. 86% of us went out and bought ourselves a present last Christmas. 
either, either we knew we were naughty and nobody was going to get us what we wanted, or, uh, or we just were trying to fill something in our lives that was missing. There, and so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about all these things. Next week's a blue Christmas. You don't want to miss it. Elvis might be here. And uh, you, never, you never know. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, so, and then we're going to end up with a white Christmas. So don't miss any of the three parts of this series. It's going to be very good. Today is silver lining. There's a silver lining to Christmas, and we're going to cover that today. I looked up some stuff this, this last week on top 10 Christmas toys of all time. Ethan's going to put them on the screen. Number 10, Mr. Potato Head in 1952. A million of them in 1952. Wow. Anybody ever have a Mr. Potato Head? Everybody. All, all million are counted for right here in this room. <laughs> okay, number nine, Pet Rock. It was a book in 1975. Five million sold in six months. Pet Rock. There's more to life than a Pet Rock. <laughs> okay, number eight, Pong. Anybody have Pong in it was the best video game of all time. Dong, dong. I think they got the name off the sound it made, just pong, pong, pong. You know, it was basically this one little slot. Kids today would think, oh my God, were they retarded or what? <laughs> Did they not have any brain to miss something better than two sticks going up and hitting a ball on the screen? Number seven, Atari. Hey, we moved up in the world. Number six, Cabbage Patch. Do y'all remember the chaos that was Cabbage Patch Kids? Three million sold at one Christmas. I think they always sold in a week. I remember my sister wanted one of these things. I went with my mom to Toys R Us, and I've never seen grown adults fight over a toy in a box in my life. Today. It, I mean, it looked like a tornado of Cabbage Patch Kids twirling around for them, flying for people grabbing them. And they'd wheel out, you know, here come Toys R Us guy kind of in panic mode because he knew it was fixing to happen. And he'd like throw the cart and get out of the way and boom, they're gone. And so three million sold. Number five, Game Boy in 1991. One million sold. That was the year I graduated high school. I think I, I didn't have a Game Boy. And, and for y'all for, for younger people in the audience, we didn't have cell phones in 1991 either. So this was, this was big technology. Number four, Tickle Me Elmo, 10 million and counting, wow, 10 million Elmos in this world, our poor garbage dumps, <laughs> every time they dump another load, you know, <laughs> yeah, and then Benner's laughing like that all the way to the bank, <laughs> okay, <laughs> Number three, Furby. Got to be the stupidest invention I've ever seen in my life. But they were, they were crazy for them. Number two, PlayStation 3. I was a little more excited about this one. There's no official number. They never released how many they actually sold. It's in the millions and millions. But 81,000 in 24 hours. 81,000 people lined up at stores that morning for a PlayStation 3. I might have been one of them. 
I sure might have been. 81,000 sold in 24 hours. That's not counting the other 400,000 people that wanted one that didn't get one because they ran out. I remember uh, I had a friend of mine. He, his kid won one. He was running to Toys R Us. He said, if you see one, let me know, man. I need one for my kid. He was running back and forth to Toys R Us looking has a shipment come in yet? Has a shipment come in? He'd be at Walmart midnight. midnight. Has a shipment come in yet? And Because uh, he wanted a PlayStation 3. And then number one, Christmas. I think I missed this one. 10 million sold at Christmas. Zuzu Pets, 2009. I missed that one altogether. Somebody help me, Jesus. There's 10 million people who don't know what they bought. That's what that is. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. 10 million people bought something that was popular. But, but the deal is we run out. We want all this stuff. We want to buy this stuff. It's the hustle, the bustle. It's Christmas. We want to get our kids exactly what they wanted. And we want to, we want to fulfill our needs with an object. Luke 2, 8 through 20 in the New King James. It said, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Imagine what it's like to have the glory of the Lord shine around you. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. Are you people? There's one thing that will bring you joy in life. And this is the reason we celebrate this season. One thing. There was a king that was born. And then they said, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. I want you to get this now. On earth, peace and goodwill toward men. What is goodwill? Goodwill towards men. They came... He came to give us peace. He came to fulfill our needs. He came to spread goodwill on this earth towards men. How do we get great joy? Is there a silver lining to what's happening in our world? You say terrorism, I say Jesus. You say murder, I say Jesus. There is some, there is an answer for everything. And it was born 2,000 years ago. He was born the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to a virgin birth. And his name is Jesus. And then we continue in the verse, and it says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem. See, when you get a vision, when God gives you a purpose in your life, you move on it. These guys had a purpose and they had a vision from God and the angels had given them a word and they captured it 
and they moved on it. And see, this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us, and they came with haste. In other words, they hurried up, and they found Mary and Joseph in the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which they were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen and was told to them. When you get true joy, when you get a true vision, when you get a true purpose for what God really did, you will leave praising Him. You will leave with joy. You will leave fulfilled. Why is giving and generosity so important to Christmas and the Christian faith? Well, let's go to John 3.16, our most popular verse in the Christian faith out of, the, out of the Word of God. And it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God, God gave an extravagant gift. It just wasn't a token. It just wasn't a sign in the sky. It just wasn't a star that the wise men followed. But it was an extravagant gift. It was the gift of all gifts. When I held my son Colby, I've said this before in my arms for the first time, I never realized what God had done until that moment. But he gave an extravagant gift and so in return, the wise men gave extravagantly also. In Matthew 2, 1 through 12, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Why did they come? To worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of You know, we, we think Herod was just troubled. But when, when you truly read the verse, it says all of Jerusalem with him was troubled. And when they say that, they're talking about a specific sect, a specific, specific group. And so it, it says, and when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes, this is the group he's talking about with him that is troubled. Of all the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. You realize the chief priests and the scribes, from the day Jesus was born, they knew it. But they never sought him out. They never looked for him to worship him. They knew that he was born. This is the Messiah they've been waiting on. This is the king that they've been waiting on. But their religious self got in the way. You know what's wrong with the world today? It's, it's what I call a spirit of the Antichrist. Anything that's not of Christ is anti-Christ. That's what Islam is. Why does Islam have a problem with Jews? Why does Islam have a problem with Christianity? Because they have a spirit of the Antichrist that operates in them. That's, that's, what this is all, that's what this war they're waging is all about. It's, it's an anti-spirit of Christ. 
It's the opposite of Christ. It's antichrist. It's a spirit. And that spirit is raising its ugly head up. It's the same spirit that was coming upon Jesus from the day he was born. There was a spirit of antichrist. And so he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, Herod was. And so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. This is what the scribes, scribes and the priests said. He's born in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophets. It's written by their prophets. Are you getting what I'm saying? It was written by their guys. This whole thing has been set up where it's right there for them. Ready. God is right. Jesus is manifest. God right there for them. And all they have to do is seek Him and worship Him and give and unlock what God has for them. But no, they didn't want to do it. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he secretly called the wise men, determined from them what, that star, that, what time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And here is when Herod, we see his true colors, the deceiver that he is. And he says, When you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. See, because the wise men's heart were right. And when they come into the house, I want you to get this word here, house. They saw the young child with Mary his mother. Notice it didn't say manger. And fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and mirror. Then began being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed from their own country another way. There's some things you need to know about Herod. Herod was a deceiver. Herod was an evil man. Herod was very paranoid. But at the same time, Herod was extremely talented and extremely cunning and extremely smart. Uh, Herod was an architect. He was an engineer. Six of, six of the main wonders of Israel that people still go to see, Herod built. Masada, uh, Masada, Herod built Masada. You hear about it all the time. He actually took a whole mountaintop and leveled it flat. And this is before bulldozers, people. Leveled the whole mountaintop flat because he was so paranoid about his enemies, he wanted a safe place. So he, he levels Masada. He builds Masada. It's still one of the main tour sites when you go to Israel and into Jerusalem today. There's Masada. And then also the western or the wailing wall where you see the call to worship happen on the mornings. Herod, Herod built that wall in, in the rebuilding of the temple. He built that wall. Six of the great things in Israel that you still can see today, Herod built. Herod was a very smart, a very cunning man. And, but he was extremely paranoid. He killed two of his own sons because he was afraid he was going to lose his throne to them. He was a very diseased and a very sickly man his whole life. 
he fought different stuff. They, they, they claim that Herod's, Herod's death was very miserable. And uh, all of his kidneys, all of his organs shut down. He, just, he died a horrible, painful death. But he was a very evil man. There, there's a couple factions I want you to see here. There, there, there's Herod, and he aggravates me. But he doesn't aggravate me half as bad as the priest and the scribes who consulted with him. And they, they've been looking for a Messiah, and he's born, and they won't even go see him or recognize him. See, they knew what was going on. They knew who was born. They even said he, he's born in Bethlehem, just like the prophet said he was going to be born. But yet the Jews today, still looking, they're still looking for a Messiah. And, and then there's the, the three kings or the Magi. And these guys followed this star for three years. For three years. A year before Jesus even is born, they start following this star. The star lines, and, and they're, they're, they're getting their, you know, men today, we can't even find our way with GPS. And uh, they're following stars. And they're following the star for, for three years, and they're not getting lost. Is that a miracle? Without a woman guiding them, they're making it. And they're doing this thing. And so for three years they travel. And for the year before Jesus is even born, they're traveling. Three years of their life, they're searching for this promise. For three years of their life, that's why they're called wise men. They're, they're looking for this one appointment, this one time where they can worship and they can give back an extravagant gift, just like God had given them. For three years. So for one year they travel. And if you notice in the scripture, it says they found him in a house. Jesus would have been about two years old when they found him. He was no longer in a manger. They find him in a house. And what's the first thing that they do? They fall down on their knees and they worship him. First thing they do when they walk into the house is they, they realize we have found them. They found him. When they saw the star over the house and they knew they were getting close, they got, it, they got excited. You know, there's something about getting excited about coming into the presence of God. They get excited and this excitement starts to build. And they walk into the room and there he lies. The scribes could have been there. Herod could have been there. They all could have been there. But there's only one group of this, these, three, these three groups that actually sought him, actually found him, actually worshipped him. And they fell down on their knees and they began to worship him. And then they opened their treasure chest and they gave an extravagant gift to him. See, three years they traveled because worshipers and givers are persistent souls. You want to be a true rock worshiper? It takes persistence. It takes, it takes enthusiasm. You have to want it. Getting in the presence of God is never easy. There has to be this fervent desire that builds in you that you want to get closer to God. It takes something more than just saying, you know, it, it's, it's our turn this Sunday. It's, it's that one Sunday a month we go to church. It's something about building a relationship with God. It's something about seeking Him out on a weekly, a weekly deal. You know, I saw... Um, a friend of mine plays select softball, and we, we've played select basketball with Colby, and they expect you to go to all these tournaments and all these things, and I always tell them, 
If a tournament's on Sunday morning, we won't be there. I think I'd let him miss one or two Sunday services his whole life. And, and the reason is, is because most kids are not going to be a select soccer star. Most kids, I know the coach said your kid is the best. I know he can throw, he can throw 30 miles an hour at the age of six. I know it looks bright, but the chances of your child making the NFL or MLB or, or the professional soccer leagues or any of this stuff is slim to none. But I know one thing is true, that when I build a desire in my child for the house of God, the sky is the limit. When I say no matter what, we're going to be in the, we're going to be in the house of God on Sunday mornings. And we're, we're, going to, we're going to have our kids in church and they're going to learn about the Ten Commandments. They're going to learn about Moses. They're going to learn about Samson. They're going to learn about all these things. And they're going to most of all learn that Jesus loves him. And for God so loved them that he gave an extravagant gift. And if they cling on to this gift and they begin to learn how to worship and they begin to learn how to give, the sky's the limit for their life. Worship was never Herod's intent. He was only interested in killing Jesus because he was a paranoid, probably schizophrenic guy who, who just did not get it. The scribes and the Pharisees knew all the details of Jesus' birth. They consulted with Herod, but they had no interest or no intent on ever finding him. In fact, they were the faction that ended up crucifying him. The wise men instead not only brought their worship, they brought their treasure. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. They brought frankincense, which was a perfume used in Jewish worship. It was used as a gift. It showed that people would worship Jesus is what it showed. They gave gold, which is associated with kings, and, with, and, and Christians believe that Jesus is the king of kings. So it, it was symbolic that he was about to be the king. They brought him a, a gift that, that you would present to a king. And then they brought him mirror, which was a perfume that was put on dead bodies to make them smell nice. And as a gift, it showed that Jesus would suffer, and yes, he would die and be that spotless, perfect sacrifice for us. Everything they did unlocked the prophetic about the prophetic, not the pathetic, but, but unlocked the prophetic of what God was about to do with Jesus for each and every one of us. Worshing, worship and giving unlocks the supernatural and changes people's destiny. When they worshiped him, they immediately fell down. They worshiped and they gave. Why did they give Jesus gold? He was two years old. Well, yeah, he was the king. But, but more important than that, as soon as you read that, that the, the three Magi left the house, Joseph would have, a, would have an angel appear and would say, go to Egypt. See, because their giving unlocked the Holy Spirit in their life. And God always makes a way to provide for you, even when there seems to be no way. Joseph, yeah, he was a carpenter. He was a, he was a great guy. But how many of y'all can make it a year without working or two years or three years? See, God knew that he was fixing to have to run. They went into exile because Herod's intent was to kill. There was a great scream across the land. Killed every child two years and under 
because he wanted to make sure he got Jesus because he didn't want another king taking his place. And, and so Herod, Herod gets rid of Jesus. Herod's just a pawn of a Roman king as all Herod ever was. He thought he was great. He thought he was mighty, but he was just a pawn, just a bitter guy that never got it. But in Matthew 2.12, there's a real key here. Even though the wise men had been deceived by Herod, even though they were totally deceived and he wanted them to come back and see him, not only did it provide for Jesus because he was two years old and, fixing, and his family was having to go into exile to Egypt, not only did that gold provide for them for the next few years, and they say even into the start of, start of his ministry, that gold was still there. That's how extravagant the gift the wise men gave was. That it provided through his whole childhood. He never lacked for anything because God took care of him. I'm telling you, when you worship and when you give, God takes care of you. Not only did, do, did it do that, but it unlocked something upon the wise men. It unlocked something on the Magi. See, because their, their heart was right. For three years they had sought him. For three years they had looked for him. They fell down. They worshiped the king of kings. They gave everything they had. They opened their treasure box and they gave him the gifts. And when they did, it unlocked, it unlocked the Holy Spirit to take them home another way. It kept them from the deception. It kept them from the deceiver. You want to lock the deceiver out of your life? You want to lock deception out of your life? You want to keep from opening the wrong doors? You want to keep from going on the wrong path? You want to keep from going the wrong route home? I can tell you how to do it. It comes through worship and through giving. It says they went home another way from which they came. Today, if you want to go home another way from which you came, I can tell you how to do it. It's through worship. It's through giving your all. See, worship, worship, the, the wise men knew that their worship was more than just singing and praising. Their worship was giving. Their worship was blessing. And they went home a different way. If you want to unlock the heart of God, you have to seek Him. You have to worship Him. And you have to be generous. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. It says, Tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good. To be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. And if they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last gaining life that is true life. You want true life in your life? Give extravagantly. I got some gift cards today. Pastor Jennifer, would you bring those up? I got eight gift cards here. They're not much. Eight $25 gift cards. Who wants a gift card today? Come up here. First eight people. First eight people get a $25 gift card. One, no, don't leave, don't leave. Two, uh -oh. three, uh -oh. four, five, six, seven. Here you go, Katie. Eight. Oh, you already got one. <laughs> look, this little lady's coming up. This will be perfect. Okay, look here. First eight people. Okay, stay here. 
But there's a catch. There's, there is a catch. Come back here, sweetie. You got to stay up here. That's part of, the, part of the penance. Here's the deal. Those aren't for y'all. This is the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Well, maybe not. But I want to unlock something in you in this Christmas season. And I want to challenge you. I didn't give you a $25 gift card. Go buy one on your own. I'm going to go buy one on my own. that make you feel better? But I want everybody in this congregation, find somebody this week. I don't care if it's $2, if that's all you got, or $5. I don't care if it's $25. I don't care if it's $100. Find somebody this week and be a miracle in their life. Find somebody this week that needs that. I don't want to be somebody you know. Can't be somebody you know. I want you to find a complete stranger. I want you to see that they have a need, and I want you to walk up and just say, God gave, told me to give this to you, and I want you to bless them. Because that's what Christmas is all about. Y'all have a Merry Christmas. I want to challenge us as a church to be generous. We do Christmas trail every year. It's not cheap. We're going to spend over four grand this year putting on Christmas trail. We have a lot of sponsors that pay for about $3,500 of it. It doesn't cost this church very much. It does cost us something. But that's okay. We want to be a gift to our community. Amen. I want each and every one of you to be a gift to your community. I want you to be a gift everywhere you go. See, because there's something about giving extravagant gifts that unlocks something in you. Give extravagant gifts to somebody you don't know this Christmas. Bring extravagant gifts to this altar next Sunday morning. Give God an extravagant gift in this Christmas season. I promise you, this church will put it to good use. It's not going in my pocket. It's going, it's going to help people. It's going to pay bills. It's going to do good stuff that matters for the kingdom of God. Because that's what this church is about. That's the founding principles that this house was built on. Gary and Penny built this house on being generous. Bishop Clark built all of our triumph family on being generous. It's one of our triumph core values is to be generous in everything we do. Our clothes, our clothes drive, everything we do around here says we are generous. Because that's the heart of God. For God so loved, he gave. It's his very heart. When, when Adam and Eve messed up, he immediately knew there was something he was going to do. And from, the, from, from Genesis 1, where the mess up occurs, all the way through Revelation, this whole book is about him finding us a way out so that we can live the fulfilled life he's called us to live and to, and to have the plan of God on our lives. This whole book, it was written just for you and me so that we could have victory. In our every area of our lives. That's what this is for. I didn't mean to rhyme. I know it was funny. But I, it's, it's, what, it's what the heart of God is. It's what his heart is. Is to take us somewhere. And I pray today, my prayer for each and every one of you, is you go home another way than when you came today. Let's stand up and let's pray. Father, I thank you for this service today. I thank you for this message, Father. I thank you, Father, that you will change our hearts and that you will take us home another way from which we came. I thank you, Father, that you'll guide us in every step that we take. Let each one of those gift cards, Father, go to the right person.
that you predestined. Let them find the person who that $25 will change their life. $25 don't change my life, Father, but there's people out there, $25 changes their world. Father, be a seed in that $25 to bring them to know you in a closer and a better way. Father, unlock a generous spirit in us. Let us give to you, Father, in this Christmas season, just like you gave to us. Oh, how we love you today, because you're a good, good Father. Bless them as they go today, Father. Let every step be ordained by you. Let them be, your, be a picture of what your church should be, Father. And let them be victorious in every step they take. In your name we pray. Amen.